Well, good morning to all of you. Nice to see you this morning. Uh, perhaps we would uh, choose a drier day, but uh, the Lord knows best. And uh, we're thankful for the rain that makes the seed grow and brings the harvest. So it's good to see you this morning. And uh, we bid you welcome in the Lord's name. Trust that the Lord will bless us today and uh, that he speak to us and really encourage us uh, and instruct us from his word. Just a, a few announcements to begin with. <clears throat> Thank you for just adhering to the, the COVID-19 procedures. Just to remind you again about uh, the back half of the uh, church and the back half of the hall to use the, the lavatories uh, in, uh, about in the front hall and the front part of the church to use this. And if kids are going out, young kids are going out, please, if mums and dads could accompany them uh, to that. And then, of course, not that there'd be much, I think, hanging about in the car park this morning, uh, but uh, just remember the social distancing uh, as well, please. Then some announcements during the week. Uh, Wednesday is the prayer meeting and uh, Bible study, and I'm responsible for that again on Wednesday night. And uh, then on Friday night at 7 o'clock, it's KBC Kids. So please remember that and uh, do uh, get organised with your uh, children to come to that. Now, we have two sets of congratulations this morning. Uh, it's great uh, to hear the news from Matthew and Naomi uh, of the birth of Freddie Samuel Bertie. I uh, hope I've got that right, but uh, it's good news, and we give them our congratulations and send our love to them as well. And also to Nevin and Sarah on the birth of a little boy, Ezra Jack. So we're delighted too for uh, Nevin and Sarah and trust and pray that the Lord will bless both of these families and uh, the little ones growing up that uh, God will soon draw them to himself. And then on a sad note, we extend our sympathy this morning to Jamie on the loss of his grandfather suddenly during the last week. So our prayers will be with uh, Jamie uh, in the days to come. Now what we're going to do this morning is we're going to divide our prayer time into two and uh, in one of those sections we're going to be looking really at the wider picture uh, and so forth and then in the other prayer time we'll bring our family needs, the church needs and the local needs really to the Lord in prayer. Before we do that we're going to listen to our opening song and worship the Lord as we uh, listen and as we see the words come behold the wondrous mystery.
There's so much uh, about our faith uh, as Christian believers which is mysterious and wonderful and amazing. And uh, at the heart of that is the privilege of meeting with God and being able to talk to him and him to us as we come to the place of prayer. So let's come now in prayer to him. We're going to lift our eyes really on the the wider scene and on the international scene uh, and indeed on the national needs as well. Uh, So let's pray together. Gracious Father, we give you thanks this morning for the wonderful mystery of salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, we ask that we might have eyes to see it more clearly uh, as we read your word, as we sit under the preaching of your word, as we talk to you from day to day, as we walk with you. We pray that you will make our spiritual sight clearer and clearer to behold the wondrous mystery and to behold the amazing grace that brings us as sinners into your presence as a holy and a righteous God. And so, Lord, we give you thanks today for all the blessings that are ours in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you for your good hand upon us in so many ways. Lord, we look out upon a world 
which is in such need. We recognize that in every corner of this world in which we live, sin is wreaking havoc in men's hearts, uh, in societies and communities, and in nations too. We bring to you today, Lord, uh, the, the uh, escalating war in Ethiopia and the innocent people who are caught there and, and being killed. We think, Lord, of those who have suffered recently in the earthquake in Greece and Turkey. And uh, we pray for those who have been bereaved, those who are injured. We ask you, Father, for the present unrest in the land of Peru. And we pray that your hand of uh, peace and calming will come upon that situation of political turmoil there. We continue to pray, Lord, for Syria and for the Middle East in general. And ask our Father that in your sovereignty and in your grace, you will uh, bring a measure of peace and stability, Lord, to that region. Then, our Father, we want to give you thanks this morning for the work of the researchers and the medics who have uh, discovered a, a vaccine for the pandemic. We thank you for giving them uh, a measure of success and we pray for them as they continue to research that and as they continue to advance that uh, work that you will bless them. And Father, if it would please you that uh, these vaccines that are being produced will indeed bring relief um, to many thousands in our uh, world today. Lord, we remember persecuted believers this morning. We think of those of our brothers and sisters in lands like North Vietnam and China and in the Muslim world and many places who are suffering greatly. We think of many African countries where believers are being martyred for their faith. And we ask our Father that in your mercy you will come and protect your people. And Lord, in the midst of opposition and persecution, that you will continue to build your church for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Father, we know that to the man on the street, these requests that we make to you seem uh, ridiculous and perhaps foolish, but we believe that you're the God of all the earth. We believe that you're in control. We believe from the bottom of our hearts, Lord, that you're working out your perfect purposes not only in our individual lives, but in our communities and in our world at large. And so, our Father, we ask for grace to bow before you in, uh, in praise and in adoration and in thanks for what you are doing and what you have done in our lives. And, Lord, to help us to trust you, to trust you when the way before us seems dark. Bless us, Lord. Hear our prayers and forgive our sins. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, boys and girls, we're going to take a wee minute or two to talk to you this morning. Uh, driving down this morning, I was feeling sorry for the sheep that were standing in the soaking wet fields. And they seemed to be just standing there and waiting. But I want to tell you a story uh, about when my children were little boys and girls like you. When we were small, or when they were small, we had a, a Volkswagen camper van. 
It was just a little camper van, although the seven of us used to go away uh, for a month at a time, and we used to have our holidays in it. And it was really good fun getting out in the mornings. You had to get out one at a time, no number one, and then number two, number three, and so forth. But we had wonderful holidays. Now, what I tell you, one night we were camped in Germany, and it was a night a bit like the day we have today, except there was thunder and lightning and really torrential rain. And we were camped in a little van, and we were looking out, uh, and through the darkness, we could see this figure walking. And, and he was walking up from the river up to the higher ground near where our little camper van was parked. And then behind him, we could see a big flock of sheep. And it was the first time in my life that I had ever seen sheep following the shepherd. Usually here, we chase the sheep and we use dogs. Today, they're using uh, four-wheel scooters and all kinds of things. Isn't that right? But uh, in the Bible, it talks about the shepherd leading the sheep. And it was the first time for me ever to see a shepherd leading sheep. And it was very, very precious. And it reminded me of the 23rd Psalm. And you know the 23rd Psalm well, don't you? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Uh, He makes me to lie down in green pastures. And then he says, he leads me beside still waters. Here was a shepherd and he was leading a sheep away from the danger of the river which might overflow and drown them, leading them to safety. And and it says, he restores my soul. And then uh, the psalmist says, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And the shepherd was leading his sheep in a wise path, in a wise way, away from danger. And boys and girls, we need to come to know Jesus Christ as our shepherd and our saviour. He's the one who can not only forgive our sins and make us clean inside, but he's the one who can lead us through our lives, through the difficulties and the challenges and the problems that all of us will face. And you'll face them. Just as your mums and dads and your grands and granddads have had to face difficulties and battles in their lives, as you grow up, you'll have problems and difficulties that you'll have to face. And it's at a time like that when if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your saviour and as your shepherd, that he will lead you and he will keep you safe. So when you go home today, maybe you'll take down your Bible and you'll read the 23rd Psalm again, will you? The Lord is my Shepherd, he leads me in paths of righteousness. Well, may the Lord bless you, boys and girls. We think about you uh, a lot and we pray for you and we pray that the Lord will richly bless you as you grow up. Let's turn to God's word this morning to read together. Um, And we're in the book of Acts. Um, I'm going to do a little mini-series this morning on Wednesday night, and then I'm preaching next Sunday night again. So just a little series of three on the Apostle Paul. So this is uh, the first of three, uh, which I hope will be of help and blessing to you under God. So we're going to read from, first of all, from Acts chapter 7, a few verses from the end of Acts chapter 7. Verses 56 and following. This is where Stephen is being stoned and Stephen cries out and he says, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. 
But they, that's the crowd round about, cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And then turning to chapter 8, verses 1 to 4, just a little further down. And Saul approved of his execution, that's Stephen's execution. And there arose in that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. And then chapter 9, and just the first nine verses of this chapter. But, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. This is God's word and we pray that he'll bless it to us. And we believe that he does bless the public reading of his word. And that he does use it really to stimulate our hearts and our minds. And indeed to speak to us from himself. Now we're going to pray again. And we're going to bring this time the the more local needs, the needs of our church fellowship and our own community and uh, the, uh, the province in which we live. So let's remember the, the more immediate needs uh, around us this morning in prayer. Our Father, we come to you today uh, seeking again your, that you will hear us and that you will answer our prayers asking you to help us as we pray together publicly, uh, to help us to pray according to your will, to help us, Lord, to play, pray uh, in faith, believing that you will answer uh, and that you will do what is good and what is best for us and for the glory of your Son. And so, Lord, we bring to you our, our province today and our local government we pray, Lord, for our MLAs at Stormont, that, Father, in your mercy and love, you will cause them to look to you and to seek from you wisdom in order to rule and to govern correctly. But we pray for them. We pray for our central government, Lord, in Westminster too. Pray for our prime minister and for his cabinet. And for those who serve with him and for those who oppose 
the, the governing party, that, Lord, you will cause them in these days, Lord, to come to an end of themselves and their own wisdom and to look to you for wisdom. Father, we long to see the Spirit of God sweeping through our land again. We long to see godliness exalted. We long to see your people, Lord, um, free to worship and to witness openly um, to the gospel of Christ. And we pray, Lord, that to that end you will overrule uh, in the thoughts and in the processes and in the intentions and plans of those who govern us. And help help them, Lord, we pray, to rule us with righteousness and in truth. Then, our Father, we come to our own family here in uh, Nakani, and we have many needs, Lord. We bring to to you those who are, are sick today. We think of little Jenny across in London, and we pray for her and for her mum, Samantha, and her dad, Stephen. And for the whole family, Lord, that you'll have mercy upon them. Touch that wee girl, we pray. And Lord, if it would please you, that you would bring healing to her. We pray for Naomi Charters today. We ask you, our Father, for your hand of blessing to be upon her in a very special way. Lord, as she begins treatment in the days to come, that you will be with her. And Lord, again, that in your mercy, you will touch her and heal her. We pray too, Lord, for uh, Sandra Charters as, and for the family, Lord, as they uh, are anxious about the sickness of Sandra's dad. And we pray, Lord, that in your mercy again, you will just come and touch this man. And Lord, that you will bless the family at this time. We remember our dear friend Andy Clark this morning and pray for him. Continue to bless him, Lord, and, and be near to him. We pray for Bill Oliver, Lord. We thank you for Bill, for what you've been doing in his life. We pray you'll continue to bless him and that you will uh, heal him. Pray for Stephen this morning, Stephen Orr, Lord, and we do thank you for your hand of safekeeping upon him. We pray, Lord, that you will bless him and help him to heal quickly. And then, Lord, we pray for Alec Ferguson, uh, uh, George's father, uh, sick with COVID, Lord, and we pray for him. We ask your blessing to be upon him. And Lord, again, that you would touch him and restore him to health. We pray this morning, Lord, for Sarah, uh, who undergoing a scan, and along with David, and we pray that your blessing would be upon both of them and Annabeth in these days. And Lord, that you will keep them really in the hollow of your hand. We pray for those who are shut in, Lord, for Willie Robert, and uh, we pray for Edie and Matty, Noreen, we pray for Vera Smith this morning. Lord, we remember these dear people be so precious to us and have set us such an example over the years. And we pray for them in their senior years now, Lord, that you will bless them with a real sense of your presence and your peace. Lord, we thank you again for your blessing to Matthew and Naomi for the gift of this little son. And we pray for him, Lord, as he grows up, that you will bless him and you will bless them as a family. And we thank you too, Lord, for the gift of a little son to Nevin and Sarah. And we pray for them as a little family that, Lord, you will bless them too and grant that these little boys will come to know the Lord early in life. And then, our Father, we bring to you Jamie this morning and and his gran, and we pray for them.
Ask you, Lord, that you'll be near to them and to the whole family in their grief and in the midst of it all, Lord, that they'll, they'll experience a, a strange and a wonderful peace as the God of all comfort comes to them. And so, Lord, we turn now to your word. And we know our weakness, Lord. We are conscious of our inability to do anything of ourselves to help or to advance your cause. So, Lord, we lean totally upon you this morning as we turn to your word and we pray that you'll speak to us through it. And, Lord, that you'll instruct us, Lord, that the word will be fitted to each heart through the ministry of your Holy Spirit and that we go away today conscious that we have truly met with you. Hear our prayers, Lord, for Jesus' sake. Amen. There's probably no more dramatic conversion uh, than that recorded in the New Testament of the uh, Apostle Paul or Saul of Tarsus uh, as, we, as he was. He was a, a man of no mean learning, a man of immense ability and capability, uh, had a great reputation. He was born in Tarsus, which itself, according to the uh, uh, archaeologist Sir William Ramsey, he said it was no mean city, that Tarsus itself was a center of learning. And uh, that in that city, uh, many of the Greek philosophies and religious ideas which flourished in New Testament uh, times in the Roman Empire would have found their advocates and their devotees in that city of Tarsus. So Saul, uh, as in the city of his birth, would have been surrounded really by a people of ability, intellectual ability, of spiritual prowess, whatever that spirituality would have been, uh, people of renown. Now, we don't know whether Saul actually grew up uh, to manhood uh, in Tarsus or whether he moved to Jerusalem and grew up there. But uh, whatever the facts, he would have been accustomed to and he would have known and been aware of the, the many varieties of thought and worldview among uh, the people of the ancient world. Saul himself was a Jew. He traced his descent uh, really to the tribe uh, of Benjamin. And as you know, many of you will know this, he became prominent and a zealous member of the Pharisees, educated to the highest degree at the feet of a, uh, a famous teacher called Gamaliel. On top of that, Saul enjoyed Roman citizenship, which was a, really a rare privilege for a Jew. Now, we don't know what he looked like, but from the available knowledge we have, it seems that he wasn't large of stature. He was, uh, he was quite small, and indeed some uh, would surmise that he was quite mean-looking, whatever that means, I don't know. But anyway, uh, he, wasn't, uh, he wouldn't have made a great impression physically, it seems. But what he lacked in that area... He more than made up for in mental and intellectual ability. He, was a, uh, he had sheer presence and real force of character. And because of this, he rose very quickly in the ranks of the Jews of his day. As a comparatively young man, uh, he was in fact uh, entrusted with the 
direction of the persecution against Christians. Um, this was put into Saul of Tarsus' hands, uh, believing that he was the one who could actually counteract and who could put a stop to these Christians and their way. So he was a man of force, a man of intellect, a man of great personality, uh, a man of deep religion and of many achievements even as a young man. And yet when we first come upon Saul in the New Testament, we meet him in very sad and serious circumstances. He was holding the coats of those who were murdering Stephen the Christian. And that's really our first uh, meeting uh, with this man for all his religion, for all his influence. Uh, we, we can say that in fact he uh, was a, a spectator of murder and perhaps even a murderer himself. So I want you to see the first picture that we have of, of Paul or of Saul of Tarsus this morning as someone who was at war with Christ. At war with Christ. Now that may be a very surprising and a shocking thing to say of a man who was deeply and sincerely religious. But I think even the passages that we have read this morning and indeed his own testimony of himself show uh, that he was in fact at war with Christ. Um, he was foremost amongst his brethren in his zeal and in his religion and foremost in his opposition to the Christian message and the Christian church. And so although he was so religious and upright and zealous, he was actually in the pay of the devil, if we might put it like that. Believing that he was doing God's will, he was in fact doing the opposite. Believing that he was pleasing God, he was in fact uh, attacking the people of God and, if you like, the house of God. I want you to see the, the picture that we, we have here. Uh, it's really a very, um, it's a very sad picture. It talks about Saul breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the Lord's disciples. Breathing out threatenings and slaughter. A.T. Robertson, the, the Greek scholar, says that the form of this phrase means that the very breath that Saul breathed, it was like a war horse sniffing, if you like, the smell of battle. He says this, he breathed on the remaining disciples the murder that he had already breathed, breathed in from the death of the others. The death of Stephen, that was the kind of breath that he had. Breathing out threatenings and slaughters against God's people. What a sad and serious picture. And as we put it bluntly, he was in fact a, a murderer. If he didn't actually take the stones or the rocks in his hand to kill Christians then, in his heart and in his purpose and in his aims, he was murderous. He was at war with Christ. And it's not hard to find the evidence of that. There's not the end of Acts 7 there. Where uh, Saul is mining uh, the coats of the, the murderers. 
or the beginning of chapter 8, where we read that uh, he was ravaging the church and entering house after house, dragging off men and women and committing them to prison. Actively involved in the death of the first martyr, Stephen, he continued that work, which he believed was a, a righteous work, but which was in fact the work of the devil as he persecuted the church of Jesus Christ. He was intent on putting an end to this new faith. Robertson again says that Saul was coolly applauding the murder of Stephen. And uh, that in that, uh, he himself committed murder. So, willfully and blatantly and openly, Saul of Tarsus was at war with Christ. There's no, nothing hidden about it, nothing subtle about it. It was open warfare against the people of God, against the church of Christ. So if, it, if he was persecuting uh, and at war with God willfully and blatantly, the second thing we might say is, and I suppose we already touched on it, he was doing so fiercely. With all the, the power, with all the, 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 the force that he could muster behind him, he was opposing and persecuting God's people. The use of the words here, threatenings and slaughter, uh, suggests that intensity, the intensity of his hatred and his opposition uh, to the Christians. Later on, when Paul was giving his testimony before Agrippa, he said of himself that he was, uh, in, in the King James it says, exceedingly mad against them. In the ESV it says he, would, he had raging fury. He had raging fury against the Christians. And the picture here really is almost one of hunting. It's like the hunter hunting game. And, and, and with the Christians as a quarry. Being hounded and hunted relentlessly and cruelly by this man who led the opposition to them. So he was uh, at war with God fiercely. Uh, the fact that Saul was prepared to go to the highest authorities and to seek uh, express permission to leave Jerusalem and travel 150 miles. That is six days' journey in order to destroy any believers who had reached Damascus. That was, if you like, that's a measure of his intent to destroy the church of Jesus Christ. And he saw it and he got this mandate um, in writing which approved his persecuting activities. Then the zeal and the energy uh, and the relentlessness with which Saul pursued the Christians throughout that part of the Roman Empire is, is further evidence of the depth of his hatred. We're told that Saul launched his attacks even to foreign cities. He was intent on destroying the church of Christ. He was at war willfully and blatantly. He was at war fiercely with uh, God. And you know, lest we are this morning sitting and saying, well, you know, that was Saul of Tarsus and it doesn't really relate to us at all. Actually, 
Actually, we're in the middle of the war that's going on, and we've been reminded about that when in our series in Ephesians, that constantly, as God's people, we are in a war situation. And so this morning, if you're finding the going tough, if you're finding the Christian pathway hard, if you're finding that circumstances are crowding in on you, that things are happening in your life, which you, if you were writing the script, you would not write this into your life. If you're feeling overwrought or perhaps discouraged even by those circumstances or down, then can I say to you that in one sense that's to be expected. Now I know that's cold comfort, but in another sense it's reassuring. Because being in, this, being in the middle of this war, as a, as a believer living for him and seeking to live for him, you are bound to get into the crossfire. Um, it would be easy for us, if you like, or perhaps comfortable for us as Christians to maybe believe, but to hide our belief, to hunker down in the trenches, as it were, not to expose ourselves to danger of criticism or opposition or uh, ridicule or these other things that come our way. But that's not what God wants. God wants us to be upright for him, to be zealous for him in the midst of the opposition and the war in which we are engaged. See, for all his might and all his prowess and uh, all his individual excellence as it were Saul was a pawn in the hand of Satan the great deceiver was at work in his life seeking through him to hinder and to destroy the work of God and by nature born into this world we are in the same position exactly we are Deceived by the devil, we are born in sin, we are his pawns, if you like. And, and as we live our life in that deceit, even though we believe we are doing what is right and good and all the rest of it, we are actually living to please him and not to please God. By birth, by virtue of our sinfulness, and as captives of the devil and deceived by him, we are pitched against God and uh, under, therefore, his judgment. And so it behoves me this morning to speak to any who are in the service, who are not saved, who are not in Christ, and to remind you again that this is the terribleness of your situation. This is the, the dreadfulness of your spiritual condition. That you're at war. You're at war with God. And at war with Christ. You may say, well, you know, I haven't sort of made up my mind. I, I, I think these things are good and I'm thinking about them and, and uh, considering them in my life and all the rest of it. But the fact of the matter is that born in sin, your heart is set against him and you are by nature at war with God. Paul, if you like, is... An ex or Saul of Tarsus is an extreme example 
of what is true of all of us in sin. So we have talked about him being at war with Christ uh, blatantly or openly, willfully and fiercely. But you know, perhaps the saddest part for me anyhow, uh, uh, the saddest part of his opposition is this, that he was engaged in this war with Christ blindly. Blindly. Now for all his insight, for all his education, for all his ability, for all his religion, for all his knowledge of the Old Testament scriptures, he was actually acting in blindness. He was blind to the truth. He didn't know what he was really doing. And I said to you before, I I try to imagine that scene on the Damascus Road, which we have read part of uh, this morning, and and that must have been an absolutely earth-shattering experience for Saul. To, in that moment, realize that all that he had done in terms of killing Christians and all that he was intending to do if he got to Damascus and to destroy the church there, in all of that, imagining that he was pleasing God, he was actually operating in direct contradiction to God, blindly doing the work of the devil. And so what do we have here as we, we, we sum up this morning? Uh, this first picture of Saul of Tarsus, who was later to become Paul the Apostle. Well, we have a man who was religiously zealous, His concern for his religion, his involvement in the ceremonies and the rites of that religion, his desire to defend it from attack and to advance it wherever possible was without equal amongst his contemporaries. That's why he was in the position that he was leading the attack, as it were. So he was religiously zealous. He was also religiously motivated He was also religiously motivated. There was no self-seeking in Saul's efforts to stamp out Christianity. He was doing it for God, as he thought. And of course, for the God of Judaism. There can be no doubt about Saul's utter sincerity in what he was doing. He was motivated by the love of his religion. I loved the little story that Len told us last Sunday morning of his conversation with with Sam, Ivy, when Sam told him that he didn't do God and he didn't do religion and, and, uh, and Len was quick enough to pick that up and say, well, he didn't do religion either. I thought it was a masterstroke, really. We don't do religion. It's not religion we're talking about. Here's a man and his religion led him in the opposite direction to which God really wanted him to go. Religiously zealous, religiously motivated, but religiously deceived. Religiously deceived. And you know what the sad thing is, dear friends, today? That in many buildings like this, I'll not say churches like this, but in many buildings like this, set aside for religious purposes, There are thousands and thousands of seats being occupied by people who are religiously deceived. 
religiously deceived. I spoke to a friend uh, yesterday uh, from uh, way back in my Listen to Glear days and we were catching up a little bit and I asked him about his own. Uh, he used to come with his wife to Listen to Glear on Sunday evenings and they were very faithful in supporting their work there on a Sunday evening but they belonged to another church and I asked him how the church was doing and he just looked at me and shook his head. He said, we have many empty seats. Well, I can understand that in the pandemic too, but he was going deeper than that. And so basically there are people with their names on the road. They, uh, they are, are, are uh, theoretically part of the church. Um, they would want a, a, a Christian uh, marriage and they would want a Christian burial and all the rest of it, but they are religiously deceived. And Saul, all the time, in the cause of religion, in the cause of religion, was furthering the cause of the devil. Blaspheming the Messiah. Blind to the truth as it was revealed in Christ. And again, I say, he perhaps is an extreme example of what is true of every unbeliever. And indeed true of us in our unbelief, in our unbelieving days. We thank God for the fact that he lifted the blinds from our eyes and he helped us to see the sad situation we were in. So the lessons from this first and rather sad part of Saul's life, I think, are clear. It is possible to be religious, but wrong. It is possible to be religious, but wrong. We see this in the scriptures, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. We see it in our own day, in, uh, in false religion around us, in empty ceremonialism, in the false cults, um, in the New Age practices that are around us, and superstitions that grip men and women's hearts. Possible to be religious, but wrong. It's possible to be zealous, but misguided. Activities done, if you like, for God, in reality, which come from sinful, selfish, or man-centered motives. Zealous, but misguided. And sincere, but deceived. You know, people will say to you, well, you know, it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. The terrible tragedy is that so many are sincerely wrong. Putting their faith in that which can never save them. Now we're thankful and we'll see this God willing on Wednesday night and next Sunday evening. If God spares us. That into this life, this sad life of Saul who was at war with Christ. Into this life God miraculously and graciously intervene to bring light and truth to bring to his knees a man who was so religious but so raw to bring to submission a man who was warring against him and this morning as we reflect on God's work in our lives those of us who are believers this morning let us never underestimate the wonder, the 
amazing grace, the depth of the love which reached down to us as sinners and brought us in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. Saul, at war with Christ. And God willing, on Wednesday night, we're going to be looking at Saul having words with Christ. And that was what made the change in his life. Well, may the Lord bless his word to our hearts this morning. Help us to benefit and to learn from it. And indeed to uh, uh, be built up uh, by it. And indeed to be sent out by it. With zeal that is channeled in the right direction. To reach those who are lost in sin and in deception. We're going to listen to our uh, second uh, hymn now. uh, And it's called For the Cause.
Well, it's Christ we proclaim because we believe that he is the only one who can save us from sin. We proclaim him because he is the one sent by God to redeem men and women from sin. So we come to remember him uh, in the breaking of bread and in the drinking of wine. I want to read just a couple of verses from Romans chapter 5. Just two verses. Paul says this. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Didn't wait until we came out of our sin because we never would have done that. He didn't wait until we could improve ourselves because we couldn't do that. But the wonder of God's grace is that. Just a wonderful verse, isn't it? God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Praise his name. It's a wonderful salvation. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And we come to remember him now. We'll take a moment or two of, of uh, silence before we give thanks for the bread and the wine. And uh, then afterwards we conclude our service just with a word of prayer. Our Father, we pause to meditate upon that wonderful truth that it was while we were still ungodly, while we were at war with you, while we were still sinners, Christ gave himself for us. And so, Lord, with thankfulness in our hearts, we come to you today. We thank you for that one atoning sacrifice on the cross. And we thank you for the joy and the privilege of remembering that sacrifice week by week as we gather in communion. We pray, our Father, now that you will take our thanks for the bread which speaks of Christ's body broken for us on the cross. We thank you that it was broken willingly and that as we take this bread, it is but a symbol of a reality which guarantees us heaven as our eternal home. Thank you for this bread. Thank you for the breaking of Christ's body. In his name we pray. Amen. When Jesus had given thanks, we are told, he took the bread and broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Let's eat together in thankfulness to the Lord Jesus.
Lord, we thank you for this cup, which speaks of the blood of the Lord Jesus poured out in death for us. And pray now that you will bless us as we obey you in this wonderful ordinance. We thank you for the cup and for the reality for which it stands. In Jesus' name. In the same way, Jesus gave thanks, took the cup, and said to his disciples, uh, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you remember, as you do it in remembrance of me. Let's drink together in thankfulness to the Lord Jesus. And now, Heavenly Father, we commit ourselves to you and into your care and keeping as we leave this place. We thank you for every individual and every family and every home represented here this morning. And from our hearts, we pray your sincere and profound blessing upon each one. Lord, we thank you that though we are blind to many of the needs of our brothers and sisters, you're not blind to any of their needs. And so, Lord, we ask you in your mercy and grace, come and meet with them today and bless them abundantly and cause them to rejoice in you. Part us with your blessing. We pray for the glory of Jesus. Amen.